Father, we just come to you. We just want to thank you. We just want to praise you. We just want to worship you, Lord. Thank you, Father. You are our provision. You are our strength. You are our healing. You are our everything, Lord. We just want to proclaim in the heavenlies today how great thou art, how good you are. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Just want to praise you. Just want to worship you. Just want to glorify you, Lord. Thank you, Father. This morning I just surrender myself. And we surrender ourselves, Lord, to the hearing of the word. Because there is only one who speaks. There's only one who has power to speak. There's only one whose words have life. It's you, Lord. So speak to us this morning, Lord. Let life be imparted in the souls of every man, woman, and child who listens, Lord. Speak, Father, speak. We commit ourselves into thy hands, O Lord. We just want to thank you. We just want to praise you. We just want to worship you, Lord. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And also for our audience around the world who are listening, and I know you also have this issue, but... If you could go to your nearest Christian store, you will get the elements of communion. I know you also are not able to partake of it. So if you could get the communion during some time during this week and have it in your homes next Sunday, you could partake of it uh, along with us. Extraordinary circumstances demand extraordinary solutions. So we will all partake in the spirit. We are one body. You could get the elements and we shall partake of it together. And uh, again, the senior citizens, uh, because you are not allowed to g- come out and we stick to the laws, we will reach it to your homes and the others, I will request you to come, call Pastor Vijay, it will be here in the church office anytime during the week, you could come and pick it up. And it's also, uh, it will be also preparing the the fathers in the houses, in the home, especially to start leading your little flocks because I do believe the times will get worse and worse and worse and everyone will have to lead his flock. So this Sunday, last Sunday, we saw on the kingdom of God, <clears throat> we'll go to Isaiah chapter 9 and verses 6 and 7. The kingdom of God is ultimately the government that will be eternal. We're looking at, we looked at governments. The world has all kinds of governments, different types of government. But there is only one government that will be eternal. It is the kingdom of God. And the Isaiah prophecy about Jesus Christ, when he would become man and be born like one of us, okay? Unlike any other child that is born, the child is born for that family, for that parents, you know, and there is, but unlike any other child, he is different, yeah. I lost it. Unto us a child is born. No? No signal it says. Unto us a child is born. Let me go back to the text. To us a son is given. Yeah? Unto us, yeah, it went again, Dr. Richard. Yeah. A son is given. The Government will be on his shoulders. Isn't it awesome? The government is on his shoulders. 
And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Just look at that four names of your king, of my king, our king. You know, We don't talk about any prime minister or president as he's my counselor. We don't talk about that. But our king is our counselor. Our king is the mighty God. Our king is our everlasting father. And our king is the prince of peace. And you know what it says in verse 7? Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. To order it and to establish it with judgment and justice. Remember, justice is the result of judgment. Okay? From that time forward, even forever. And God is very zealous about his government. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts. You look at the different usages. The messages are not on this verse, but different usages of God's name. The zeal of the Lord of hosts, Jehovah Shabbat, the captain of the host, the Lord of the armies, will perform it. So there's so much in these two verses. Okay? But please understand, all our struggles, our personal struggles, every individual struggle primarily is with government. To govern and to be governed. Our struggle is with government. Ultimately, whether we like it or not, every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess. Many willingly, most unwillingly. Okay, if you look at pictures in the Bible about numbers, he's king, he's born king, and he's absolutely sovereign. And the kingdom of God is an eternal kingdom forever and ever. Nobody will escape it. Forever and ever. So please get that. Our struggle is with the government. We struggle because government means authority. Okay, government means authority. And we struggle with authority. We struggle with authority. It is it is a result of the fall. We struggle with authority. Two sides of the kingdom of God. Just this is the preamble of God's constitution, okay? And then we'll get into the message. Romans chapter 14 and verse 17. 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not. There are two sides of everything. We need to know what it is and what it is not. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. Two things we love. It is not eating and drinking. There is food, there is water, there is nourishment in the kingdom, but that is not what it is. But what is the kingdom of God? It is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Okay, so first understand what is the kingdom of God and why is this focus on righteousness? Like we know when it comes to the government of India, we have that three lions, the Ashoka Chakra, and you have written over Satyameva Jayate, which means truth shall triumph. Okay, but what truth we are talking about, nobody knows. Each one has his own truth, but God is truth. So the scepter of his kingdom, in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 8, But to the Son he says, Your throne, O God, is forever. 
forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Okay? Scepter of your kingdom. What is, this, what is the scepter? The scepter is the symbol of authority. It defines the nature of that kingdom. Okay, like Satya Meva Jayate, when we put it over there, we are talking, that is on which this nation should go. America has its on its single one dollar note, in God we trust. Okay, okay, so each nation has its own, it all sounds very great, very good, but in practice it never happens. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, in practice it happens always. So righteousness, righteousness, please understand it. Righteousness is the scepter of his kingdom. His kingdom is established in, is in righteousness. And that righteousness is the result of judgment. To judge you and I need truth. Because without truth, that is why in a court what is presented as evidence is the truth of a situation. You need truth. Based on truth, the judge makes a judgment. And the result of the judgment is justice. And when there is justice, you have righteousness flourishing. That is how the kingdom of God. So when we who are born again of God and by his spirit, the kingdom of God comes in. That means we are constantly making judgments about ourselves based on the truth of God's word so that we grow in righteousness. Okay? You can never, when in the kingdom of God, you cannot have anything that is connected with the kingdom of God without righteousness. In the world, you can have peace. It's a false peace without righteousness. In the kingdom of God, you cannot have peace without righteousness. In the world, you can buy happiness. You can buy happiness. But in the kingdom of God, you cannot have joy without righteousness. Everything flows out of righteousness. So if any man or woman within the body of Christ seeks for a peace, or seeks for a joy, or seeks for contentment, seeks for anything outside of righteousness, it is not possible. It is not possible. But when you seek righteousness, then, and as you grow in righteousness, everything automatically flows from it. So understand how the kingdom of God works. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 20, you and I are given another, another side of the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God is not in word, meaning it's not a matter of just talk, but in power. The kingdom of God has power. Okay, Otherwise, it, it simply doesn't work. The nation of India has power. That's why our Soldiers are at sub-zero temperature, eyeball to eyeball with the Chinese army. Otherwise, they will, they will just walk over. Why do nations maintain armies? So that their borders aren't violated. So the citizens can live in peace. So the kingdom of God also maintains an army. God has warring angels. God has absolute power. Okay? So the kingdom of God is not just a matter of talk. It's a matter of power. And the final coming of Jesus Christ is for war. He comes prepared for war. And his saints were the most peaceful, meek people on earth. When they come with him, they come as warriors prepared for war and led by him, the captain of hosts, the 
Jehovah Shabbat. You see that in uh, Revelation 19. You see that in the book of Jude, uh, where Enoch's prophecy, where he sees him coming with tens and thousands of his angels and saints. No, So please remember, there is power. Now the righteousness, what the Bible is talking about, the righteousness of the kingdom is the righteousness that comes by faith and faith alone. It's a righteousness that comes by faith in Christ, his work and his word. And faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. Now there was a seeking after righteousness of the law in the Old Testament. When you go to a restaurant, like no, they give you first what is called an appetizer. Okay? That is to make you hungry for the male course, main course that is coming. They give you an appetizer. Right? The seeking of righteousness that comes according to the law was supposed to make us hungry for the righteousness that comes by faith. Please understand that. And there are incredible men in the old covenant who actually understood it. Okay. Abel encountered power in worship by faith. Enoch walked with God by faith. Noah built an ark by faith. Abraham left his household by faith. Isaac never stepped out of the promised land and lived there from the beginning till the end of his life by faith. And Jacob and Moses, the whole list and David and all. No, you will see they understood the principle that there is a righteousness that comes by faith and faith alone. That's why God said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be filled. They shall be satisfied. Okay? But also remember the kingdom of God is a kingdom of power. So it empowers us individually in our quest for righteousness. Otherwise, we will not be able to go forward. Power part we will look at another day. So we looked at Matthew chapter 6. And verse 9 onwards, Jesus' prayer, 9 and 10. You have it there in the Sermon on the Mount and another place when the disciples ask him, teach us to pray. This is how he said, okay? In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You looked, okay, of all the names, incredible revelation God gave through Moses and others. You know, the revelation he gave through others, but shown to us through Moses and the others. The greatest revelation is the fact that that same God is our Father. You have to read and know in testimonies, personally and otherwise. When you are really down and depressed, and if you are alone or otherwise, just, just keep saying that word, alone. Repeat that word alone and you will see the comfort of God coming. Just keep repeating. Father, 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 and Father, Father, Father. And see the supernatural power of God coming into your life. Okay? Father, Abba, just that. 
read incredible testimonies and experienced personally of people who were in down in the dumps and all they could was utter was Abba, Father. And they felt the presence of God come and comfort them. Okay. And that's how it begins. Our Father who art in heaven. And the entire issue we are facing in the whole world is a fatherless world. All the crisis we are facing around the world is because there is a lack of fathers. And God, Jesus introduces the Father to us. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, so that you may come to the Father. And he himself reflects the Father. That's why one of his titles is what, Father? Oh, my father died uh, 20, 20, yeah, 26 years ago. Now I was telling, I don't know, I was telling Dr. Richard yes, to, when he came to see me yesterday. I said, you know, my father... Uh, like my mother, you no, know, because they lived in that beautiful land closest to paradise on earth. But they were incredibly healthy because of the environment in which they live. And if he hadn't been alcoholic, he would have been still alive, strong at 90. Would have been. But even then, every father is supposed to die. We have a father whose title is everlasting. <laughs> no. Everlasting father. Okay, And that's what Jesus is saying. Our Father in heaven. And you know, hallowed be thy name. We looked at it. Your kingdom come. A lot of people do not realize millions of people have prayed this prayer and everything that we are seeing that is happening. He will say, Lord, will this pandemic go away? He will say, but you said, my kingdom come. And did I tell you these are all signs of my kingdom coming? Okay, it cannot come. You cannot have a delivery without labor pains. Like, I know what mothers go through because I also got an epidural. <laughs> so, so uh, no? So, but in the kingdom of God, there is no epidural. Okay? There is, there is no anesthetist. Okay? And honestly, you know, when the, the surgeon was so, the anesthetist also was so sweet, you know. He said, uh, Brother James, he's a retired anesthetist from Gandhi Hospital. Brother James, I'm going to poke you. It's going to hurt you a little. And then, you know, let me know whether you have your uh, feet, everything is losing sensation. And the first thing that came into my, I'm not being over spiritual or something. The first thing that came into my mind was that my Savior did not get an anesthetic on the cross. He didn't get an anesthetic. He refused the anesthetic which they offered to him. So we are always better off, no? We are all better, always better off. You always can see that, no? He's so good. He's so kind. And he didn't take any of that options out. He had so many options. He went and went by the Father's will. So here you have something. He says, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay. Today we will look at you will be done on earth. Okay. Last week we looked at thy kingdom come. So this week thy will be done. But before that, remember, along with uh, what we call privileges, privileges, rights, comes responsibilities. Okay. To as many as who received him, he gave them the power or the right to be called the sons, the daughters of God. That's a privilege. 
is an incredible privilege. Incredible privilege. The greatest privilege a person can have in a nation is the privilege of citizenship. Citizenship. And people, I look at this, what, um, misguided young people in the United States of America. Hundreds, millions of people would give anything to get the citizenship of that land. And they're burning their flags and mocking their citizenship. Mocking their citizenship. The most sought after citizenship in the world. But there is one citizenship greater than all of it. It is the citizenship of the kingdom of God. Paul says, our citizenship is of heaven. That's just one part of it. The other side of it, the citizen turns out to be the son, the daughter of the king. He's just not granting you citizenship. He's giving you sonship. Okay. But the problem is, along with it, with those rights, privilege, comes incredible responsibility. Now it's J.F. Kennedy who said, do not look to what your nation can do for you. Look to what you can do for your nation. Okay? Responsibility. It's one thing, oh, God is my father. So if God is my father, then I am the son. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Moses was responsible or faithful, loyal, faithful in the discharging of his duties as a servant. Jesus as a son. Moses never called him my father. But Jesus did. And Jesus said, you and I call him as father. So the next thing is that, how is our responsibilities as a son, as a daughter in that kingdom? It's not good enough to be faithful as a servant. It's not enough. The kingdom demands faithfulness as a son. As a son, as a daughter. So it's an incredible privilege to call the king your father. But it also demands that same level of responsibility, loyalty, as a son, as a daughter. So thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We saw last Sunday in the kingdom, the king's word is law. No, there's a hardly any absolute monarchs left in the world. Hardly any left. But if you know the ancient days, the king's word was law. Okay, king's word was law. And his word is his will. His word is his will. His word is the law and his word is his will. Will means his desire. The Greek word for will, if I am right, is telma. Is telma. Which means what the king desires. What the king desires. 
Okay? So when we are praying, Thy will be done. You are saying, Lord, whatever you desire in my life, let it come to pass. Let it come to pass. Thank God we got a lovely God, a wonderful God who says all the plans that I have for you are good. <laughs> God doesn't have terrible plans for anybody. But this are, remember, they are not just temporary plans, they are eternal plans. Okay? So God says, this is how you need to pray, thy will be done. We are asked to pray, thy will be done. Let me tell you something about this will part. We are absolutely, completely, totally free moral agents. Unlike the rest of creation. Because when he breathed into us his image, one of the things about God is, God is an absolutely free person. He's absolutely free. So are we. If you want to be a bum, you can be. Nobody is stopping you. And God will not stop you. If you want to drink your life to death, God will not stop you. He will not stop you. You want to be a loser? God will not stop you. He will not stop you. If you want to be successful, He will not stop you. He will aid you. If you want to be righteous, you see we are absolutely, in one way, we are absolutely free. Unlike any animal, bird, fish, they don't have those choices. So when we are saying, thy will be done, we are saying, Lord, I will make my will subservient to your will. In Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19, this is what God says. Deuteronomy 30 and verse, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Choose life. He says, you're free. You can choose life. You can choose death. You can choose blessing. You can choose curses. I will not stop you. Choice is yours. I will recommend choose life. I desire you choose life. But I will not push you to choose life. Because you are absolutely free moral agents. You have the freedom to choose. Liberty is our greatest gift. He said you can choose. You can choose life or you can choose death. You can choose blessings or you can choose curses. We choose. We choose. In Joshua 24 verse 15, it goes to another way. Here we are, bit, we are called to choose between life and death. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. He says you can choose whom you serve. You are absolutely free to choose who you want to serve. You can choose to serve God or you can choose to serve the devil. It's up to you. I will not bind your hands. Serve me. No. You are absolutely free moral agents. If you choose life, I am life. If you choose death, he is death. The power of death. Ultimately, death also will be thrown into the lake of fire. If you choose to serve me, you will end up with me. If you choose to serve the devil, you will end up with him. It's your choice. It's your choice. We don't realize the power we actually have to determine our destinies. Power, no? So we can choose life or death, blessing or curses. 
We can choose whom we serve. In First Kings chapter 18, verse 21. 18.21 And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, if Baal follow, we are also given the freedom to choose to whom to follow. If you want to follow God, you can follow God. If you want to follow Baal, 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 we will never change. It's a choice. The Bible doesn't say when fire came down, God pushed all the people onto their knees. No, they fell on their knees. It's our choice. To bend our knees, our choice. God doesn't break anybody's knees. He doesn't. Just you can choose. And we do not realize we have absolute, total, complete freedom to choose our destiny. God has done everything possible to see that we make the right choices. We can choose life, we can choose to serve God, and we can choose to follow Yahweh and not Baal. We are free. That means we have free will. But remember, we do not have the freedom to choose the consequences. I want to choose Baal, but go to heaven. God says, it doesn't work like that. doesn't work like that. You can make your choices, but you cannot choose the results. When God created everything, He also set into motion laws. Physical and spiritual laws. All of us know spiritual laws cannot be broken. We understand that. But we struggle with spiritual laws. Though we are so careful about physical laws, we are very negligent about spiritual laws. So when he created us in his image, unlike the animals, the birds, the fish, or the creation, when he created us in his image, he set into motion both moral and ethical spiritual laws. A cat can live a polygamous life. No issues. She's not judged. Dog can commit incest. No issues. No issues there. The cat can steal from seven houses. Nobody calls 911. That man can't. You ask the question, why is that man can't? It's because he breathed into us. So those laws were set into motion. When we violate those laws, those laws also come with inbuilt penalties. So please understand, when you and I were born again, we became the sons and daughters of the king. So when we pray, thy will be done, it should mean more to us than any of any creation. Even an angel. The good angels. We are not talking about the fallen angels. Thy will be done should mean more to us than two-thirds of the obedient angels. Why? Hebrews 1.5. 
Hebrews 1.5. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son? He never said to any of you, you are my son. But to Christ he said, and everyone who is born again is in Christ. In Christ. Seated on the right hand side of the Father. So our desire to do the will of the Father, no angel, not even Gabriel or Michael calls him my father. They don't call him father. They cover their faces. You know? But he says, which of the angels did he say my son? So what he calls to Jesus applies to us too. Because we are in Christ Jesus, seated on the right hand side of the Father. So our loyalty, our faithfulness should be more than even any angel. That's why the overcomers will rule the angels. Because they have been found to have more faithfulness and loyalty and character than even the angels. Because in the kingdom of God, let me tell you, character matters. If you and I have to rule over the angels, be very sure we have a character greater than them. Character matters. Okay. That's why when the church gathers and there is the ministry of the word going in the church, angels come to learn the wisdom of God revealed through the church. Okay. Now we are made a little lower than the angels, but then a different. That is why this entire ministry within the church, the especially Pastor Bijay when he preaches, he's always preaching on that part, if you look at it, on the sanctification part, because that is connected with our overcoming. Because children don't inherit anything in heaven. The angels will be above them. They will be put under guardians. Galatians 4 is very clear. There are children in the church, there are young men in the church, there are fathers in the church. Children cannot inherit. And we know that practically. We will never, I'll ask one or two of the mothers in the, in the hall here, one mother here in the hall, where is your child? Do you leave it alone? No. Under supervision. You will never leave your child alone. It's always under supervision. Right? So if you end up in the kingdom of God ultimately as a child, you will have supervision. You know? So thy will be done should be our daily prayer. Keep praying it. Thy kingdom come, thy will. Just don't say thy kingdom come. Because whether you pray it or not, it will come. It is more important we pray thy will be done. Because that is more important personally. Personally, more, what's more important to me is that your will is done in my life than thy kingdom comes. So that when your kingdom comes, I'll be counted worthy. But your will was, it's written about David, the man who goofed up multiple times. He fulfilled God's will in his generation. So thy will be done. Thy will be done. Okay? So the battle is always the battle between the self, will, and the will of God. Self is king or Christ is king. In Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you. I mean, it's, it, we, we, 
when Paul writes all this, or you read any of the epistles of from Genesis to Revelation, don't look at the authors. Or oh, Moses wrote. No, the Spirit of God wrote through Moses. This is not Paul beseeching. This is the Spirit of God, our King, begging. This is the Father pleading with the children because of his righteousness. He says, you know what? It's one thing that never happens. God never compromises on his righteousness. Therefore, I beseech you, I beg you, I don't want the pain of having to judge my own children. No, it's the fathers who hurt when they discipline their children. The child forgets and goes. Forgets and goes. And this is a father. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable self-service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove, okay, what is the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. And I will put it as the good and the pleasing and the perfect. So the word of God, if you look at Romans 12, will be put across as three sections. There's the good will of God. That's where we all are. Or maybe we have gone further. The good will of God, the acceptable, pleasing will of God, or the perfect will of God. We should finish with the perfect will of God. Okay? We have to progress from good to acceptable. From acceptable to perfect. Thy will be done. Okay? I told you, it is Telma. Okay? Which basically means what one wishes or determines will happen. That we are saying, Lord, I want you to have your wish in my life, your desire in my life. Okay? Individually, fulfilled in my life. And the battle of the will begins. Even as you pray this prayer, you will see you battle it every day. Your will. Even Jesus, at the end of his life on earth, battled that. Not my will, but thy will. So he had a will of his own. And he has surrendered to the will of the Father all through his entire 33 and a half years. And the last minute, when it came to the, the most agonizing test, Father is offering a cup. And his will is fighting it. doesn't want to drink from that cup. He doesn't want to drink from that cup. The battle of the wills. And every mother knows. Every baby is born. And the baby starts. Every day the mother battles the will of the child. When the mother wants to sleep, the baby doesn't want to sleep. Babo, 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 big round eyes. <laughs> mother is nodding off, nodding off, child is wide awake. Okay. Or feed. You don't realize how strong the fallen man's will is. Right from the beginning we see that. Right from the beginning, the will. And as if you are not learning to submit your will to the will of another, you will grow even stronger and stronger and stronger as a rebel. You know, the battle of the wills. Who will be king? Self or Christ? So even in the will of God, there is the known will of God and there is the unknown will of God. Everybody is curious and interested in the unknown will of God. But God says, shall we first deal with the known will of God? 
lot of people who come to it says pastor will you pray over me hoping to get something out of that prayer one thing with again catch and run okay the unknown will of god god will reveal in his appointed time if we keep the known will of god but the known will of god has already been revealed to all before time please understand before we can really really know and move in the acceptable or perfect will of god we need to move in the known good will of god the known good will of god is revealed in scripture technically if you look at it is fivefold these are the boundaries god has set in the kingdom of god for all his children though it's applicable to every man it does not apply unless you enter into apply meaning you do not know it until you enter into the kingdom of god in first thessalonians chapter 4 verses 3 to 8 first thessalonians chapter 4 this is the will of god very clear this is the will of god your sanctification okay that is this is a, our sanctification is the will of god we are talking about complete sanctification to narrow it down to one area here but complete sanctification is the will of god not just justification everybody is interested in justification everybody is eager about glorification but they want to neglect sanctification but god says your sanctification is the will of god that you should abstain from sexual immorality and each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor not in passion of lust like the gentiles who do not know god that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this manner because the lord is the avenger of all as such as we also forewarned you and testified for god did not call us to uncleanness but in holiness therefore he who rejects this does not reject man but god who has also given us his holy spirit god is very serious about this okay the greek word is of course is pornia from which you have porn pornography everything basically it's talking about every deviation sexual immorality everything outside the heterosexual marriage everything outside that god has set boundaries and if you look at first corinthians chapter 6 verse 18 this is one of the most distinctive sins for flee sexual immorality every sin that a man does is outside the body but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body this only one sin you can sin against your own body which is sexual immorality every other sin you sin outside your body i lie to my neighbor i bear false witness to my neighbor i covet my neighbors i kill my neighbor everything is outside but this one sin you commit inside to yourself harm yourself it is this and god is very 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 serious about it. God in Hebrews 13 and verse 4 says he will judge 
Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators he, he, he includes both groups, unmarried and married. God will judge. Now God may, God will. So God is very, very, very serious. Absolutely serious. Okay. So God says, repent, renounce, surrender. Repent, renounce, surrender. Now, all those who are listening here, everywhere around the world, you know, a lot of them write and ask this. Let me give you the solution. Romans 12.1 I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Okay, The Bible is saying, offer your body as a living sacrifice. Now you turn with me to two portions in the book of Exodus. Exodus 29.37 and 30.29.37 Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctifice, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar must be holy. Okay, and then 30 and verse 29. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them must be holy. There's a spiritual truth in the old covenant. Okay, spiritual truth in the old covenant. With Jesus would indict the Pharisees. Okay, keep this in mind because this is the only solution. Given by God. There's no solution outside this. There's only one solution. Matthew 23 verses 16 to 19. And all my children, lovely children around the world listening, listen. Woe to you blind guides who say, who swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he's obliged to perform it. Fools and blind. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? The gold, when it is brought into the temple, the, te the gold becomes holy because of the temple. Then, who has space swears by the altar? It is nothing but who savors by the gift that is on it is obliged to perform fools and blind. But which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Now what Jesus is saying? Therefore, who swears by the altar swears by it and by all things on it. Now what Jesus is saying? It's the solution, the spiritual solution we see in the Old Testament. When the animal was brought and the altar was sanctified, it was put on the altar. The animal became holy. God says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. In the new covenant, the altar is Jesus Christ. And he says, by faith, it doesn't matter what you did and how you defiled your body. Now, by faith, you put your body on the altar. It is sanctified. You can walk free. Can walk free. Can walk free. There's no other way. Can walk free. Why? My body, your body, absolutely, totally undefi um, um, defiled when it's put on that altar. That altar is holy. Christ is the altar. He is the sacrifice and the altar. But He's the cross. He is the altar. When you go onto the altar and offer unto Him as a sacrifice, you become holy. 
you become holy. And it's gone. It's gone. It's gone. You know, the sheep must have walked through all kind of muck and everything and eaten everything and all kind of crazy stuff. Outwardly it has no blemish, but inwardly that is not the truth. Right? Nobody is opening up there and looking into the inside. It may be full of germs. Nobody knows. But when it is put on the altar, it becomes holy. Why? The altar makes it holy. Okay? You getting the picture of it? What God is talking about? And that's how you begin and that's how you go. There's no other way you can go forward. Let's pray. Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord, and all around the world, all who are watching, especially my children, Lord, who came off the streets. We come by faith. We bring our bodies, defiled bodies, put it on the altar. The altar is pure. The altar is holy. The altar is you, Lord. The very holiness of the Almighty God. I pray it will permeate through us and cleanse us and sanctify us. We offer ourselves, Lord. There's nothing we can do other than look at the finished work of Christ and put ourselves on the altar. Receive us, O Lord. Sanctify us, O Lord. We believe it by faith. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 That's how even a prostitute's body becomes holy. It's no longer the body of a prostitute. It's a holy body. It's holy. God receives. Just receives. Think about a holy God. How can He receive people like us? Because it goes through the altar. And that is the prayer. I'm beseeching. I'm beseeching you, brethren. Offer yourselves as living sacrifice. And people like David understood this. No, David understood this and goes and surrenders himself. You know, and nothing God could do the, would stop him from going him back to God and offer himself back to God. And God would answer that faith. You know, so please understand the will of God. Okay, the first will of God is sanctification. We are constantly, because every sacrifice in the old covenant was a dead sacrifice. You kill the animal and put it on the altar. The new covenant, every sacrifice is a living sacrifice. Every day we put ourselves back on the altar. And he sanctifies us. How does he? You may, you may look at it and say, I don't feel holy. God says, it's not you. It's the altar that makes you holy. It's not you. It's not your feeling. It's the altar that makes you holy. Put yourself on the altar. The altar makes you holy. Put yourself in, in my son. I will, I will only look at the altar. And he is the altar. And he receives us. The second will of God. Okay? The second one. Ephesians chapter 5. These are known. Let's go into the known and practice this fivefold known will of God a few days, a few weeks, and you will see suddenly God is trying to, is your thoughts are aligning, patterns are aligning, His revealed will is becoming clear for you. Okay, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 18. Okay, because a lot of people, the worst, like I said last time, the, the saddest life is a life lived without purpose. Without purpose. And we are not people of the world. People of the world have many different purposes which have no meaning at all. Okay, we are people with purpose. 
Because the king, the kingdom, like, overwhelms us. It's above and, you know, everything else in our life. And we need to have very clear, definite purpose. Let's read that. See then you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay? If you look at verse 15, there are three parts in this. Verse 15, it says, be careful about how you walk. Be careful about your walk. No? It says so. Just be very careful about your walk. Don't take it lightly. No? Be very careful about your walk. First thing. Second thing, be very careful, watchful of your time. Time. Be very, very careful about it. Don't please waste your time. Everybody gets the same amount. I don't know how many times we have said it, but it has to be said over and over and over again. You only get 24 hours a day, and it's already 10.38. 10.38. More than a quarter of the day is already over. One third of the day is already over. In one and a half hours, half the day is gone. Okay, don't waste time. Okay, don't waste. God says, watch your walk, watch your time, how you spend your time. Okay, because these are kingdom principles. You know, because you need to, Lord, reveal your will for me. He says, I see your walk and I see how you waste your time. What's the point in telling me you what you want to do? What's the point? God is not giving us information for curiosity's sake. There are some questions that come on Q&A and they'll say it's a curious question. It's okay. Okay. But the kingdom is not a curious business. Kingdom is very serious business. God says, watch your walk, watch your time. And third thing, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. Continuously. You know what? It's one quarter, quarter empty. Okay. And after some time, it will get half empty. Then finally it will fully empty. We do not realize. We get, we get emptied. Get emptied. And we need to get filled again and again and again and again. You know? Again. We understand that in the physical world. We understand. We know that. We have to eat breakfast. We have to eat lunch. We have to eat dinner. We know we have to fill petrol in our bikes, our cars. We know it will not run like that. We always look at that. Okay. So many of our young men are daredevil drivers. Not they drive fast. They try to drive on an empty tank. <laughs> and then God will allow it to stop in the somewhere on the middle of the road and they'll walk till the petrol bunk and come back with a bottle. Okay. But, <laughs> but you all know. It simply does. You see, <laughs> there was this pastor in a small town, okay? This town was the place where uh, once a week or twice a week, one train passes by. You know, there are places like the weekly trains, no? So when that train passes by, this pastor is there at the station. 
and he always will come there, take the ticket, sit there and watch the train pass by. So the station master once asked him, why do you always come to see this train? He says, the whole congregation town comes to his church. He says, the only thing in this town that I don't have to push is this train. <laughs> he says, for years I've been trying to push my congregation to move. They don't move. So I get this pleasure of seeing this train <laughs> move without me pushing. A lot of people in Christendom are being pushed. They are not moving. You know why? Because they have no power. They have no power. If you have filled your tank and you know otherwise your vehicle is fine, you have no fears. You have no fears. You know, you'll go. But when you don't have power, you realize, you know, you know, and every message, every exhortation, everything becomes a burden. Reading your Bible becomes a burden. Prayer is a burden. Meditating on the word is a burden. You know why? Because it is no inward power. Inward power. You know? You know how a set of three thousand religious people became committed believers as soon as they received power? Nobody had to tell them come for the Bible study. They were there every day. They were there every day. Nobody had to tell them, come for the prayer meeting. They were there every day. You know, because something had come inside. And that's what God is talking about. He's not asking us to do any. Actually, He doesn't want us to do anything on our own power. That's why He told them, don't leave Jerusalem until you have received power. And keep on being filled. Watch your walk. Watch your time. Not good enough to do this both. If you want to Order your walk and redeem your time. You need power. You need power. And when you have power, you will realize you can order your walk. You will know you can maximize your time. Maximize your time. And that's an important thing, maximizing your time. You know? You will, like last Sunday we said about priorities. Priorities will start falling into place. And we will be able to maximize our time and things will start falling into place. So please remember, first thing we realized, uh, learned, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Second thing, this is the will of God, that you are filled with the Holy Spirit so that we order our walk and we order our time, redeem our time. And we go back to God every day and say, Lord, fill me, fill me, fill me, fill me, fill me, fill me, you know. Let us look at the third thing. First Peter chapter 4 verse 19. Third thing. Therefore those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as, a, as to a faithful creator. God says, you know what? Please be always prepared to suffer according to my will. Okay? Please don't suffer Outside his will, suffer according to his will. When you suffer according to God's will, please be prepared for that. In Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Everybody, irrespective of which nation you are in, you will go through trouble. If you want to live a godly life. If you want to live your self-life, different thing. You want to live God's life, 
in this world which is hostile, ruled by the powers of darkness, God says you will have trouble. Okay? So be prepared to suffer according to the will. These are things which you need to be prepared for. Okay? When you sign in into an army, they always tell you what's going to happen. The day you sign into that, this thing, basically you are signing in your death warrant. Okay? They don't guarantee you will come out of it alive. You know one thing, when you sign into the army, you cannot sue them for anything that happens to you. Anywhere else you can sue them. In the, in the army you cannot sue them because you signed it. You assigned your life over. Signed your life over. So God says when you come to the kingdom, remember the kingdom of God has a hostile kingdom against the kingdom of darkness. And you want to live my life here on earth, you are going to face trouble. The world will not love it because the world is controlled by powers of darkness. The world will only accept where your good agrees with their good. But a day will come when evil will be called good and good will be called evil and you will be in trouble. In James chapter 1 verses 2 to 5, he's preparing us. God says he prepares. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. These trials are to prepare us for the kingdom. Okay, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. First thing is patience. Okay, one thing you will need in the kingdom of God is patience. Please remember, if you want to be an overcomer, you need patience. You're going to rule. I mean, imagine Dr. Richard is one of the overcomers and he comes back with Jesus. He's not going to rule for one day or two days or a thousand years. Thousand years. A set of stiff-necked people. I've seen it all. No? So, please remember, Moses was the most patient man. God took 40 years to make him patient because he's going to lead a set of stiff-necked people. No? Sometimes I wonder who had more patience, God or Moses, with the people. <laughs> See, we, we, we confuse authority and power of the world with the authority and power of the kingdom. The kingdom of God, the qualities are completely different. He wants, and one of the reasons God gives us children is to learn patience. One thing children teach you is patience. They simply don't do what you want them to do. Right from the day they are born, they teach you patience. Knowing that the testing of faith produces patience, what does it mean? It simply doesn't happen the way I pray today, I don't get an answer tomorrow. Teaches you patience, produces patience. You will go through trial then. Let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God is building character. And he put you through trials to build character because trials is a test whether you have character or not. That is a test. And when you fail... You come back to God and say, you know, for Lord, I did not have it. And God says, yes, David, you did not have it. Now I'll build it in. You thought you had it, but the zigzag proved you did not have it. Sixteen years, months in the Philistine camp proved you did not have it. So you must have asked many times when you were hiding in Adullam and all, why can't I be king? Because you're not yet ready. You're not yet ready to be king. 
Okay, and I will prove to you you are not ready. Oh, no? Because in the kingdom, it comes with what you call it, it comes with character. So he uses all these things to shape us. Because anyone who wants to live a godly life will go through persecution. And it is the will of God for us to suffer when we live a righteous life. Hebrews 12 verses 4 onwards. Sometimes we sin. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. He says, don't. You haven't come to that point. He says, where you have willing to die than sin. We actually die to sin. I am dying to sin. No. But he says, no, that is not the thing. The believer is saying that I would rather die than sin. You have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to son. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. What is he saying that? He says, you know, don't get upset when you go through tough times. I'm punishing you. I'm disciplining you. Because you haven't overcome sin in your life yet. So God says, every child is mine, I will spank you. I'm not like David who will not wink his eyes. A lot of fathers wink their eyes because they're helpless. But God says, I'm not helpless. <laughs> I'll beat the daylights out of you if you are my child. <laughs> because it is my will that you are sanctified. That you are sanctified. So he says, you know what? I will chastise you. Don't forget, this is only spoken to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. So God says, when you sin, I will, dis- I will discipline you. No? Because that is his will, his good will. So get used to this. Get used to this. If you live righteously, you will suffer persecution from the world. If you sin, you will receive discipline from the Father. Either way, you are caught. Both sides. Both sides. Okay, God says, you know, because I am preparing for something bigger and higher. Always look at that and endure it. And that's what the story of Job and Joseph and all in the Bible proves. These are two individuals, specific individuals in the Bible who suffered according to God's will. Suffered according to God's will. No, Job did nothing wrong. Technically, he did nothing wrong. But he suffered according to God's will. But the end of it, he was more blessed than what he was because he suffered according to God's will. Thirteen years, Joseph suffered according to God's will. But at the end of it, he is a type of the overcome who is now ready to reign. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 to 12, this is what God says. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Thy kingdom come. For theirs is the kingdom of God. He says when you are persecuted for righteousness sake, you need to know the kingdom is yours. The kingdom is yours. When you are persecuted for righteousness sake, don't get depressed. Don't get discouraged. Know that the kingdom is yours. And verses 11 and 12. Blessed are they. Blessed are you when they revile 
and persecute you, say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So he gives you a completely different dimension which only kingdom people have. The world will not be able to do this. Only kingdom people will be able to do this. Because we see through the eyes of the king and the kingdom. God says, you know, when you go through this, oh, I accept this is the will of God. What to do? I have to suffer. He says, no, your attitude stings. Your attitude stings. He says, I told you to be rejoice and be exceedingly glad. And that's why Paul's letters are full of joy. Full of joy. Sitting in stinking dungeons in chains. He's, you will read those letters. You will never know what state he is in. You will think this man is like having a six course meal. No, he's absolutely on the top of the situation. But actually he's in chains. And he's rejoicing. Exceedingly glad. Because he knows he's being persecuted for Christ's name's sake. So, it is the will of God, our sanctification. It is the will of God that we are filled with the Holy Spirit continuously so that we order our walk, we redeem our time. It is the will of God that we suffer for righteousness' sake, not for sin's sake. For sin's sake, the Father will discipline you. Please remember, most of the sins which believers do, the government doesn't know. But the Father knows. You don't escape the Father's hand. That is the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. When the unbeliever sins, neither the Father ignores him, God ignores him, the government ignores him, and he goes to hell. When the believer sins, the government ignores him, the government doesn't even know. The Father doesn't let him off. Doesn't let him off. Right? How many kings in this world took other men's wives? That's the history of this world. Nothing happened to them. They all died and went to hell. David took another man's wife. God spanked the daylights out of him. And he fulfilled his purpose and reached heaven. That's the difference. That's the difference. And that's what God is talking about. You have to see everything in the light of what is the will of God for me. The first will of God, your sanctification. Second, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I, the kingdom of God is a matter of power. First, I need power. To lead an overcoming life. I need to order my walk. I need to redeem my time. These two things are interconnected. I walk in time. Before I reach eternity, I walk in time. And I need the power of God to order this continuously to be refilled. Continuously be refilled. And like we use the illustration, we know all our vehicles need to be refilled. We always visit that patrol bunk regularly. Right? We go there, we fill it so that we can keep moving. And God says the same thing you need to do. Keep coming back to me every day. Get filled with my Holy Spirit so that your walk is ordered and you redeem your time and you don't waste time. Because one thing, almost everything you lose in life, you can regain. Almost everything. Except time. You lose time, time is gone. A lot of people actually, you know, Sometimes it's very, I mean, God is very gracious, okay? He's very, very gracious to people who come to him in very late. He's very, very gracious. That's why you have, that's the awesomeness of our God. One who is all-powerful, two, he's a father. So he gives you incredible promises. I will give you back all the years that the locusts, you know? So he actually helps you to maximize time. 
maximize time. Meaning, you know, God is some, God is the only one who is able to do all these things. That's why we need to go there. We will say, Lord, I came to you so late, Lord. What will He says, don't worry. If you surrender to me absolutely, totally, completely, I will use the rest of your life that is left to see that you finish my purpose. I'll do, I will do that. Because God is not God is not constrained by any of these things. To finish the atonement work, God only needed three and a half years of his son's life, his ministry. Thirty years, his son did no ministry. Three and a half years, he finished his ministry. So time is not a problem for God. Time is a problem for us. So the thing is that your age is irrelevant. Your age is irrelevant. If you come to the Lord very, very late, you know, Moses 80, Abraham 75, Aaron 83, you look at all these people, they came very late. But they surrendered completely. They surrendered completely and God finished his purpose in their lives. Fourth one, First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18. In everything, it, it is the the key is the stress is not on the word give thanks. Stress is on the word in everything because we all give thanks. Now when you go for lunch, you'll give thanks. <laughs> but if the chili is too much in it, the thanks also goes. Some people will thank. My wife will snort. <laughs> no, everything. No. Everything give thanks, you know. Suddenly you will realize it is not like when the anesthesia wore off. <sighs> I couldn't sleep. I couldn't turn. The tubes were everywhere. Oh, how I longed to sleep. You thank God for all this. Suddenly you realize sleep is a good thing. You know, you never appreciate, you take sleep for granted. Until you don't have it. But God says, give thanks. Through it all, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. Why? This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, honestly, practically, people find, believers find it difficult. Let me tell you, how do you make it practical? Isaiah 46 verse 10. This is God declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel stand, I will do all my pleasure. Meaning, God has already seen the end from the beginning. We are somewhere in the middle trying to peep and see the end. God says, I have already seen the end. I am telling for every child of God who walks with God, the end is good. End is excellent. Even if you enter in as a child, it is still good than the lake of fire. <laughs> My counsel shall stand. What does it mean? The end cannot be changed. God has already determined everything. Therefore we praise Him. Therefore we give thanks. See, we understand all these things. See, we are, like I keep saying, no? The old days, no? When we were into fiction. 
now we are into non-fiction. Old days we were into fiction. I was, I, I had no order in my reading, no, because books were lying all around and, you know, crazy. I mean, imagine you are a class 5 student and you big, you read Milson Boone and Harold Robbins and James Harley Chase and, okay, classics, no, from classics to pulp fiction to popular fiction, you're growing up on all this. And tension arises, you know, because the stories are gripping. So you don't, so you don't have that patience because you're a child, so you always flip to the, <laughs> Last page to see if the hero survived or not. Once the hero is survived and they're living happily ever after, then you go back and read. So palpitations come down, okay? Tension to We are people who have read the end. We who know the end. You know? Know the end. Okay? Sometimes you need to know your end. Know your end. Joseph at the age of 17, was shown his end. Two dreams. And he knew the counsel of God will stand. Now is the test to see. He reaches that. You are already seen the end. You are destined to rule. God has spoken that over all of us. You are more than conquerors in all this situation. I have spoken it. Do you believe it or not is the question. So all Joseph had to was grow up. I don't know if you have seen pictures of history. Pictures of history, no? When a king dies, king dies, and the prince is very young, very small, you have somebody who's got a regent who rules on his behalf, though the prince is there. So the the throne is there, the prince is there. But you know, the problem is the crown is also put on a cushion close by. The crown is not put on the boy's head because the head is too small. The boy has to grow up where you can't put padding on the crown. Okay, He has to grow up so the crown can fit into his head. You need to realize that's exactly what God is talking about. What is in the physical is in the spiritual. God says, grow up in Christ so the crown will fit your head. Grow up into the character of my son so that you can be crowned. The crown is there. But the problem is, will it fit your head? No. So he says, once you know your destiny, then your current situation is irrelevant. You will be able to give thanks. Why are we able to give thanks? Because we see in the end, from the beginning. This is something the old covenant people never had. All their dreams and aspirations were connected with your past world and death was the end of it. So they did not have it. But for us, look at John chapter 14 verses 1 and 2. Let your heart not be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If you were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. That's one of the, God is very scriptural. You know that, right? He doesn't twist his word. That's why in the new covenant, you will, he will say, if you have food on your table and clothes on your back, you should be satisfied. Don't worry about a house. I'm making one for you there. If you're living in rent all your life, it's good. I mean, it doesn't, shouldn't bother us. As long as you have the money to pay the rent, which he will provide. 
I mean, if you own a house, good for you. But if you don't own a house, don't get discouraged by you because you're going to get a house which hands of man did not build. Okay? So we already know we are going to a place and a place that is prepared by God, not by man. Eyes have been seen, or ears heard, what God is preparing for those who love Him. You see the end. So our current situation should not discourage or disappoint us in life. That's why we are able to give thanks in all situations, because we have seen the end from the beginning. We know our end. We know where we are going. We know the nature of that life over there. If you go to Revelation 21, and verses 1 onwards, 1 to 5 maybe we'll read. This is a preview of the end. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was there was no more sea. I love it. I love that part. No more sea. I don't like the sea. First time at age of five when my father brought me down to India, then took us to my grandfather's house, and I saw the sea. I was petrified. I hated the sea from that day till today. Don't like the sea. I'd never seen so much water in my life. I grew up with rivers, but I'd never seen the sea. So when I first read this, I was so happy. <laughs> I was so happy. You know, I take my children to the beach and all that, but I don't enjoy the beach. I don't enjoy the sea. I, I don't know. I have something built in block to the sea. Then I learned scripture. I understood that sea is a result of judgment. Okay, so I've realized my feelings correspond with scripture. <laughs> so there was no mercy. Okay. Then I, John, when I love rivers. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them. They shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And what will he do? And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Wow, he personalizes it. And there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. That's why we can give thanks. That's why we can give thanks. See, practically you need to realize why you can give thanks. Be able to give thanks. No, I mean, if you're going into an exam, but the job is assured, would you have tension? They will say, just write the exam, because that is one of the requirements. But job is guaranteed. There are 10 posts and only 10 candidates. But one of the mandatory requirements, you have to write this exam. Think about it. Then you go through all the trials in your life, you will be able to give thanks, because we have seen the end from the beginning. But God says, the other practical, actual spiritual practical thing which we need to do continuously. Hebrews 12, 2. Keep your eyes on Jesus. I like NIV. No? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes. 
fix your eyes. You learn to lead. We, our, pro, our, we have an issue of keeping our eyes, moving it here and there. God says, no, fix your eyes on Jesus. It's a person. It's a person. Fix your eyes on Jesus. You are the eye of your mind. Fix it on this person of Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Keep your eyes on my Christ Jesus. Colossians 3, verses 1 to 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated on the right hand. Where should our heart be? Things that are above. See, eyes on Christ. Heart on things that are above. And verse 2. Your mind, mind. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. This is one of the fundamental things that will happen if you keep your mind on earthly things. One of the lessons I learned very, very early in life. If you go shopping, you will lose the joy of the Lord. You will, because it's full of things. And you unnecessarily end up buying things which you actually don't need. There is something with things. That's why God says, do not love the world or the things of the world. You know? Just stay away from it as far as possible. Because that's the nature of our flesh. You look at those things, you go to one of these places, you know? And you see all those things and then suddenly this, you know, that will look good there and this will look good here. When it says flee temptation, it means flee shopping. Flee. Basic requirements. I mean, God will give you. God will always give you everything. God will always give you everything you need in life. And nobody, like all of my... Spiritual brothers wrote no, to me, I've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. You know what a U-Haul is? U-Haul means that uh, trailer which when you're shifting, no? Yeah, yeah, it's called a U-Haul. I see, I've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. Hearse is what takes the dead body. Have you seen anybody who go, is going to burial with all his belongings? <laughs> all those pharaohs who did it in this uh, pyramids, others looted it. Even in Greek, those days, when that people died, they only put a particular coin in his mouth to pay for the or men who take him across river sticks, the river of forgetfulness to the other world. This much token was enough. <laughs> Nobody takes anything there. And things have that power to catch our eyes. Have that power to catch our eyes. It does have. That's why the best thing to do is let God add them. No, you had in the morning, uh, I think it today mornings that GDC, this thing which, uh, is that what, I, I, is that one? I'm, I'm not sure. Was it from James chapter one? Yeah. Just look at that. What was put here? You know? Oh, okay. It was, it is, it was not, uh, this one. The other one that uh, I think it was on somebody's uh, D, uh, DP. What does DP mean, by the way? I know. Ah, okay. I know DP. I don't know what DP means. Okay. 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 Somebody, no? There's no shadow of turning with him because every perfect comes from? Let it come from above. Let it come from above. 
No, when I go after it, it's coming from below. It will never satisfy. Never. Let it come from above. That's what God has said. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things, what to eat, what to drink, what to wear, everything, whatever you need, I will keep adding. When He's adding it, you know it has come. Yeah, let's have that verse. I love it. First, uh, James chapter 1, 19, if I'm right. 17 or 19 should be one of those verses. 17, yeah. Every good gift and perfect gift is from so do you want a good gift? Do you want a perfect gift? It always only comes from above, not from below. Only comes from above. Comes from above. See, you have to understand something about God and His quality control process. When He gave us, He gave His only Son. When He gave us, He gave His only Spirit. God never gives second-hand stuff from heaven. Damage goods from heaven do not come. Hmm? Now happens. Whenever he gives, he gives you good gifts and perfect. And perfect does not mean in our mechanical sense, meaning that is perfectly what you need in your situation. Need in your situation. No? Now think about it. COVID-19 came. My surgery got postponed. If it hadn't come and hadn't been postponed, I wouldn't have had such a wonderful spiritual experience. From the watchman at the gate down to everybody is a Christian. Everybody is a believer. And we had a good time ministering and praying and fellowshipping. And I mean, where, where in the world do you go? Like, you are, first as you are coming in, you are prayed over. Then you are going in, you are prayed over. Then Dr. Richard is allowed to come in there and he also prays. Then the anesthetist before he pokes also says, let us pray. We were not sure whether it was a surgery or a prayer meeting. (laughs) 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 Think about it. Forget the price factor alone. That was like one-tenth of it. Everywhere around. Think about it, no? Isn't it so beautiful, so wonderful? No? So you think about it. I mean, that's what you have to think about always about God. He's a good God. It's not that He doesn't want to give you things, but He says, you don't go after it. It will mess your heart up. It will mess your mind up. He says, I will. Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. If He says something, He will give it to you. Just You just have to wait for it and do your thing. It will come at your appointed time. He gave Joseph two dreams. So the appointed time it came. Not two years early. He hoped it would come two years early. It didn't come. Please put in a word. God says, I don't need anybody's word. At the appointed time, it will come. No, And that's what the Bible is talking about. Understand these pictures. These are real, real pictures the Bible is talking about. No, don't mess up your mind. Because it is impossible to walk both ways. You will fall one way. You cannot have your feet on both words. When God says, do not love the world, then he clarified it. Because world alone, we will, ah, I don't love the world. But he says, the things of the world. Because the world is full of things. Full of things. You know? Please, honestly, be wise like that man. I told you once. He needed a car. He got the money. He bought the car. 
brought it home, took a hammer and hammered it nicely and then drove peacefully because somebody knocks against it, I am not going to get worried now. Somebody scratches my car. I'm not going to get upset and shout at him. Somebody who is made in the image of God. So what did he do? First took a hammer and made a few dents. So then he drove happily. <laughs> because you are called to love your neighbor and not to love this thing. But if you love this thing, then you will get angry with the neighbor. So this better thing is that. <laughs> How simple. These are wise men. <laughs> Because honestly, these things, no, why don't we love our neighbor? Because we love things. But if you don't love things, it will be easy to love your neighbor. Because all this jealousy, envy has got to do with things and reputation and name and all those things. We we unnecessarily complicate life and God kept it very, very simple. Very, very, very simple. So God says, no, keep your eyes fixed on Christ Jesus, your heart on things above, your mind on things that are above. There are things above, there are a lot of things above. Really dream about your house in heaven. I do. I always told Lord I want it near a stream. I don't joke with God. I make it very clear. Lord, you give me a house, I want it near a stream. I have sacrificed my life, I left my mountains and the streams for your service. And you will pay back. I know you are faithful in that. You will give me a house by the stream all eternity. It will be crystal clear water. Not moosey. <laughs> what I missed on earth, I will not miss there. Okay? You be, I mean, isn't that how you talk to your father? You talk to your father, no? You have to live this life seriously. You know, our eyes are on him, our thoughts are on those things that are above. And Hebrews 13, verse 14 to 15. For here we have no continuing city. No, nothing continuous city here. But we seek the one to come. What are we seeking? The one to come. Therefore, by him let us continue. Continually offer the sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of our lives, giving thanks to his name. How can you give thanks? Give thanks. This is the will of God. Give thanks always. This is the will. How can you give? If your eye is not on this city and if your eye is on that city, you will be able to give thanks. Because this city, all the cities will perish. It's not continuing. That is eternal. So it's all given over there. We have no continuing city here. But we seek the one to come. Therefore, through him, through the Holy Spirit, we are able to offer the sacrifice of praise. There is sacrifice in it. Because your present reality does not cost much praise. Therefore, you, you, you are called to make that sacrifice. There's a price you're willing to pay. What is sacrifice? There's a price you're willing to pay. And you praise him and you thank him through it all. So this is the Will of God. Above all, death is not defeat. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 54 and 55. So when this corruptible, that is this body, has put on incorruption, 
and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in, O death, where is your, Peter, next Sunday we shall sing that song, okay, O death, we'll teach all our new congregation around the world this song, okay, O death, where is your, sting, O head is, where is your, that is a primary thing where you can give thanks, you know what, death is no longer defeat, death is actually victory, Meaning you actually look forward to that day. Are you sure? You actually look forward to that day. That day. If your mind is not attached down. You look forward to that day because it is a day of victory. It is a day of going home. Therefore you can give thanks in all. Because end of everything on earth is what? Death. And if death is victory... You are able to give thanks. Lord, I am in this situation. Will I die? Let me thank God. How many are thanking God for COVID-19? No? So we looked at four things. First was our sanctification. Be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can order our steps and redeem our time. Third thing we looked was if you suffer according to the will of God, remember, rejoice and be exceedingly glad because we have been called to suffer according to the will of God. Third, giving thanks in all circumstances. It's only possible if our eyes are fixed on Him. Why eyes fixed on Him? Because there's a person and there are things there. See, things can be duplicated. I have a house in heaven, but I have a house on earth also. I may get a car in heaven. You may have a car. There are no cars there. But there are a car in heaven. I may get a car here also. So all these things can be duplicated. So you have no interest to go. But if your eyes are on a person. That's why Peter says, Though you have not seen him, yet you have loved him. Though you have not seen him, yet you have loved him. Yet you have loved him. That's the key. That's the key. Because salvation is an experience. Experience of a person coming into your heart and your heart longs to see that person. The Bible says, death is the way you see that person. So you see death completely different eyes. Completely different eyes. No? Now the fifth one. First Peter chapter 2 verses 13 to 15. Therefore submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So God says, this is a fifth, what is that? Submit to government. God has put different formats of government in our life. Starting it when you are born, you are born into usually normal setup into a family. You've got a father and a mother. That's your governing authorities. You know? And God says, submit to government. This is the will of God. Often Christians find this very, very difficult. Because we look through the pages of the Bible, but we are actually looking for freedom from government. 
freedom from authority. That's why if you look at it all around the world, it this rebels are exalted. They are lifted up. No? Jesus showed something else, completely something else. He showed us a completely different pattern. We don't have to go over there, but we've seen Hebrew, uh, Philippians 2, 5 to 11, completely different. What is he coming? He's coming under government. Okay. Hebrews chapter 5, he was heard because he obeyed and he suffered to obey. No. And our, we need to realize the world is moving two ways. The church in one way, the world in another way. The world is finally moving to the culmination of this. Can I have in NIV, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report or letter supposed to have come from us, saying the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for the day will not come until rebellion occurs. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. God says, don't worry. Before the coming of the Lord, you will see its effects on the society. What will increase? Lawlessness will increase. Lawlessness will increase. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called. Meaning he does not like the government of God. Or his worship. So that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to God. And that's happening. There is God in my heart as king. And there is me in my heart as king. And me, the self will replace God. Every governing authority, the self will replace. And that's a sign. Noah's time also that was a sign. Lord's time also that was a time. Now also this is the time. And what is the Bible saying then? Yeah, verse 5. Don't you remember that? When I was with you, I used to tell you these things. Now you know what is holding him back so that he may reveal. What is holding him back? The Holy Spirit. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. The Holy Spirit is slowly being removed. We see its effects around the world. The men, the man, as using as one gender, but men, women and children of rebellion, lawlessness are being revealed. So the question to ask is this. Am I a sinner? Yeah, I'm a sinner. We are all sinners. That's not the point. Christ Jesus came to seek to save the lost, the sinners. He didn't come to save the rebels. There's a difference between sinners and the difference between rebels. Rebels can't be saved. Sinners can be saved. No. And what you see in the world is lawlessness increasing, meaning people are rebels at heart. So you see all this happening in these last days. This is the goodwill of God. There is a sifting that is happening within the church. It's a sifting that is happening within the church. 
Like remember on December 31st, I told you 2020 is not another year. It's the beginning of a decade. And I believe this is the last, I'm not setting dates, could be the last decade before he comes. Before he comes. The king is coming. And there is war in the heavenlies. And unless one is absolutely spiritually blind and deaf. You can't miss what is happening. The entire world has changed in six months. Completely changed in six months. And man will use his free will. We began with that increasingly to go against the will of his creator. And God allows it. God allows it. He's sifting. So the simple question is not, are you a sinner? No, we're all sinners. And he saves us. If you sin, brethren, you have an advocate. The question is not whether you're a sinner. The question is, are you a rebel? So there's always hope for the sinner. And remember, if you read the pages of the Old Testament, there were rebels in the king's own house. Absalom, Adonijah. And it just didn't matter if it was a king's own sons, they died. Not because they were sinners. Because they were rebels. That's the nature of the kingdom. That's why we live in democracy. It is about self-rule. Democracy is basically self-rule. And the end time church is Laodicea, which is self-rule. Remember Luke 19 where we had all started Occupy till I come? In Luke 19 verse 14 and then Luke 19 verse 27 there was something, an interjection over there. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying we will not have this man to reign over us. The citizens of his kingdom hated Jesus. Said you will not reign over us. And Jesus was quiet. For how long? 2,000 years. He didn't intervene. Then he came back. In verse 27, after judging the servants, people of the hood, he says, bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them. That's a rebel. The rebel does not accept government. Rebel does not accept government. And this was their end. Please understand this constantly. The God of the universe deals with individuals. The call of God is to individuals, not the crowd. Even though there may be a crowd, God speaks individually. And every one of us have to respond individually to this invitation of the king and surrender to his will. When it comes to Jesus Christ, you cannot hide in the crowd. Cannot hide in the crowd. And the time of hiding is over. That's why God has shut everybody in their houses. And God is watching everyone individually. The time restrictions will lose, but I'm telling you the six, seven, eight months will be defining for the last days. There is something that is happening with this pandemic. The pandemic is evil, but God uses evil for his own purposes. Is actually sifting the church. Can you stand on your own alone with God is the question. Or will you fall away? 
In Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 27. Now great multitudes went with him. And he turned and said to them, If, if any, anyone. There's a crowd. But he speaks to the individual. If anyone. Anyone. He speaks to the individual. He doesn't speak to the crowd. He's, even to the crowd is addressing the individual. Anyone. 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 The response of the king also is always to the individual. In John chapter 21, verses 21 to 22, within the kingdom too. Peter seeing him said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If I will that you remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. I may have different purposes for two different people. What's your concern? The time has come for to be individually accountable to the king. A crowd is not going to work. Do you have an individual, personal life with God? Or only it happens on a Sunday when the crowd comes together. And those people who only had that have already fallen apart. Because there is no crowd to hold them back. Hold them together. You are getting the picture what God is doing in the 6, 7, 8 months? You need to understand something fundamental. There's something about crowds. Today's crowds are tomorrow's mobs. What we are seeing now, right now, is mob rule. Literally mob rule. All around the world. Left-wing mobs, right-wing mobs, religious mobs. And one thing you need to understand about a crowd when it becomes a mob Mobs do not have ethical or moral consciousness. Only individuals have. And we see that through the pages of the Bible. Mobs, anarchy, dictatorships, ways being paid for the ultimate one, the Antichrist, who will take over. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? The mob that came. Suddenly they forgot Lot. Who he was. His age. His position. They forgot everything. Telling him suddenly. Stand aside or we will do worse to you. Do you see how the mob. These are people who lived around him. With him. Many of them must have gone to him for favors. Because he was an elder sitting at the city gates. But you know the mob doesn't have a consciousness. And you become part of the mob, you will forget all what you were and what you were taught. You become part of that mob. And that's exactly what the church was for so many years. Just a crowd. And God says, I'm going to separate you. And I'm going to show you that you, can you stand alone with me? We saw that mob against Moses. We saw that. Where is that fellow? The people for whom he sacrificed everything brought them out. Suddenly they became a mob. And towards the end they said, we'll pick another leader and go. 
Why I'm saying is that you will never know the will of God if you're part of a group. You need to be part of a group. But you need to have a personal, individual walk with God. You know about Jesus? How fast the crowd became a mob? How fast? Became a mob. No, free Barabbas. 2,000 years ago, the mob had thought they had won. They got the government, that is Pilate, to bow down to their wishes. They had no clue. The kingdom had arrived. People always talk about the silent majority. Let me tell you, in real situation, go through history. Silent majority has worked in only ideal situations. Very rarely has silent majority worked. The French Revolution? It was by mobs. The Bastille prison was broken. They came out. And you know what? They killed everybody who they thought was the upper crust of the society. They killed. That is where from we have the blade called the gillette. It's gelatin or gelatin, gelatin. You know what? That was how public. And the people all came to watch the king, the princess, the noblemen all being executed. You know what? The women sat there, sat there and gossiped and knitted while heads were being chopped off. That was a mob rule. You know what it led to? It led to Napoleon, the dictator. Every time the mobs have taken over nations, it led to totalitarianism, authority in the hands of one man or a group of people. That's what is happening and is coming. Whether it's a left-wing mob or a right-wing mob, that's what happens. The Bolshevik revolution led to Lenin and Stalin and millions died. Millions died. Millions died. And if you always look, all these mobs were small. The silent majority was too afraid to stand up and speak. They never did. How many were the Marxists in Russia who took over the communists? How many was Mao's group? Very little. But they took over. Once they took over, they killed everybody. They were all led by mobs. And we are actually standing at the crossroads of history. Really. What's what, 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 Everybody is watching US. And those are mobs. Left-wing mobs. And one side of the political spectrum is falling flat. If both the political parties stand up and say, stop, it will stop tomorrow. You know that? It will stop tomorrow. It will stop tomorrow. They are too afraid. They don't realize where this will lead to. If God doesn't change things. But that's Like I said, that's the last country standing. There's no other Christian country left. The last final country standing. That falls, then the road is paved for the Antichrist to come. Things will start moving fast. We have a right-wing government here. Here. It's mob controlled. We are safe because we are in the south and we have different governments. But you go further in the north, it's all controlled by mobs. 
Their word is the law. You look anywhere in the world. It's the mobs that are controlling. All of Europe, you cannot be a conservative. They will silence you. They will silence you. You cannot even open your mouth and make a statement. The mobs have taken over. All around the world. Here you cannot make a statement. The mobs have taken over. They are hostile. And during these six months or five months of pandemic, draconian laws have been passed in most nations. And you do not know how many people even in this country have been arrested and put in prison trying to speak against the government. It's a law. All around the world. The only set of people who have the power to resist this is the church. Because they have supernatural power. And the church is asleep. Church is asleep. We have power with God. We have power with God. That's why you're talking about moving from the permissive will off to the perfect will of God is to join the battle. Because God will say at the time when I needed you, you were not there. See, there's a saying in English, you fight fire with fire. You fight fire with fire. When there is a forest fire, what the forest department comes, the firefighters come and do is that they will start another fire at the brush and it burns down. Then the fire that is coming comes here and stops because it does not have anything else to feed it. So they fight fire with fire. Okay? In Matthew 11 verse 12, God says, Violence has to be met with violence, but a different kind of violence. What you are seeing is violence where the liberties of man is taken away. Individual, personal liberties of man is taken away. Because that is socialism. And that's what is coming around the world. But that's when your personal liberties are taken away. So that violence against my personal liberties, what to believe? Even that is not allowed in this country. You're not even allowed to believe. You're allowed to pick your trousers, you can pick your shirt, you can pick your tie, you can pick your chapels, you can pick your shoes, you can pick your food. Not all foods. Certain foods, they will dictate what you can and what you cannot eat. And you cannot pick your religion. They will determine. When your personal liberties are taken away, the church is equipped to pray. And this is what they say. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And they violent take it by force. And God says, this is the hour for the violent to take force. This is the hour of prayer. This is the hour God is framing warriors. Nobody knew in Gideon's time that 300 people of the 32,000 would be the only ones God would pick. 32,000 were there. But nobody had any clue in the beginning there would be only 300 and God would only need 300. He put them through the process. But when the day of battle came, the victory came, he only needed 300 people. And God is preparing a set of people during these times. God is, is, I want. They are spiritually, outwardly simple people, but spiritually violent people. Their prayer, there is fire. Their praise, there is fire. And they are found in their closets, redeeming their time. What I hate most is people wasting their time. Because you are absolutely blind if you are wasting your time at a time like this. We are fighting, the church is literally fighting with its back against the wall. Literally fighting. 
We have no clue what is coming to this, to the church, to the church, what is coming to the church. The church is the only entity that is equipped to fight. We are not fighting the mob. We are fighting for the mob. We are fighting powers of darkness. It is to us alone in Luke 10 and verse 19, this is given. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy. The battle is not won here. The battle is won there. Battle is won there. You know? In the Sunday service evening, in the Hindi service, you look at it another day. The power of the kingdom. He told Peter first and then he told to the other disciples, there are mysteries or secrets of the kingdom. There are the keys of the kingdom. It's the power of the kingdom. What is the key? The key gives me access. There's a master key, which is faith. But key gives me access. And the keys of the kingdom is first given to Peter. And then you give one to the apostles and it is given to them. Peter uses that key. On the day of Pentecost, he opens the kingdom of heaven for the Jewish diaspora. Then he takes the key and opens it for the Samaritans. Then he opens the key for the Gentiles. He opens, uses the key and opens the kingdom of God for all races and all people. God says these things are given to the church. And what is the church doing? What is the church doing? Personally, one on one. And I am telling you God is watching us one on one. Are you in the closet? Are you found faithful in the prayer closet? Because it's prayer that changes the destinies of nations. It's prayer that changes everything. Daniel's prayer changed everything. One man. One man was alone was needed. When Israel had gone away from God to absolute wickedness and Baal worship, it is one man's prayer that changed the nation and brought the nation back to God. God doesn't need too many people. But God says the ones who are there available... Do we understand the will of God? When we say thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do we understand? No? Do we understand? That's the question we need. Because the sifting is happening. God is not tempted by evil, the Bible says. But the pandemic definitely is changing the church. It's changing the church. They will even tell us how to worship. You saw the law in California, right? I got a text from somebody from US this morning. Telling, Pastor, freedom is slowly disappearing. With a worsening pandemic, California banned singing in places of worship. Singing at services has proven to be one way to spread a virus. So they're telling you can go to church, but you cannot sing because the virus spreads. You can shout, scream on the streets, you can burn, loot, do anything, but you cannot sing in church. This is supposed to be in the most free country in the world. You know, in some of our places where the government is giving, the pastor should be there in the church the whole day and let people come one by one and get prayed and go. Making making it like a temple because that's what the priest does in the temple. So we'll allow you to worship our way. 
Isn't that what Pharaoh told Moses? You don't have, you want to worship? You don't have to go three days. Worship in this land. And Moses said, no way. But how many churches will say no way? Many churches will say your way. We don't realize our liberties are being taken away one by one by one by one by one. The only ones that can stand against this is the church. Is the church. And you know how the devil did it? He did it very successfully. We, in English we use uh, a term which is called the soft underbelly. Meaning belly is soft, you know. So you want to stab somebody, stab them in the stomach. Okay, that's just underbelly, like in the fish and all when they go and you know, they cut the fish, the shark and all from the belly. So it's called, the term is soft underbelly. What they did was that they put in, smuggled in through the back door lots of preachers into the church and softened the church up by turning their eyes from Christ and the kingdom to the world. And they preached about the world and the things of the world and told them that is the will of God for you. So you have this huge church in the world is absolutely one with the world and they have they are not equipped to pray. And now the battle has begun and suddenly you realize you are always told this is the will of God. The world was the will of God. We call it prosperity gospel. The God is a God of prosperity. The prosperity gospel is not a gospel. It's a death knell. So you have absolutely soft church who has never learned to pray. They know how to pray for things. They don't know how to pray for the kingdom of God. They've only been taught to name it and claim it. They were never taught to fight powers of darkness. And there we are. There we are. God says, like Gideon's 300, I will have my 300. There will always be a remnant that will come through this. I do believe when the pandemic is over, a remnant would come out. We wouldn't know. God will know. A remnant has come. He sent tens and thousands into Babylon and brought a few out. What did Babylon do? It showed who was who. What did Babylon prove? Those who were gods and those who were not gods. Because when they were all in Israel, they all looked as if they belonged to God. We are all gods people. We are all Jews. And they were taken to Babylon. And suddenly in Babylon you realize you were never gods. You assimilated with Babylon and disappeared into diaspora. The, the others who refused to stood there in persecution and tribulation. God brought them out. And that's what the pandemic is doing. That's what the pandemic is doing. God is doing his work through it all. He'll say, Dut ka dut or pani ka pani. Nikol jayage iski baad. Dut ka dut or pani ka pani. And redeem your time. Don't waste time. Set aside time, spend time in the word, spend time in your prayer closet and God will start showing you his will for you. It's not enough to know the good will of God. We need to know the pleasing will of God and then we need to reach the perfect will of God. Shall we pray? Father, this morning, first Sunday, Lord, if if it were to go by your numbers, it's a perfect. This is the fifth day of the seventh month. The number of grace and the number of completion. And we look to you and we believe, Lord. You brought us through six months. We are in the second half of this 2020, Lord. What the next, this six months? Oh, Father, we have no clue, Father. What stands? We have no clue. But we know you have gone before us. We haven't gone this way. This Nobody in this world has gone through anything like this, Lord. But you have gone before us. 
And our eyes are upon you, Lord. I pray, Father, bring us through this. It's a stronger, more powerful church. Maybe lesser in number. It's irrelevant. Numbers are irrelevant in your kingdom. Because God can save with few or many. You are never constrained by numbers. You are only constrained by hearts. The heart is not on fire for God. You can't do nothing with them. So prayer today is that our hearts be on fire, Lord. For you. Not for the world or the things of the world. For you. Ephesus with all its goodness was disqualified because they fell from their first love. And there's no church of Ephesus anymore. Though that was the first letter written in the book of Revelation. There's no church there today. Restore us. Help us to walk in this fivefold known will of God before you can reveal the unknown will to us. You love us. You care for us. So you have revealed these things to us through your word. Our sanctification. The ordering of our steps. The redeeming of our time. To be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit because we need power to live this life. To suffer for righteousness sake. Oh Father. Help us to give thanks. In all situations. For this is the will of God. And to come under government. Under authority. Every governing person you have placed over us. Most of us don't even deal with the government of the land. But we deal with other governments you have placed over us. Help us not to be rebels. Because when the kingdom comes, there will be no place for rebels there. Surrender ourselves, Lord, as a church into thy hands. Come, Lord Jesus. We compel you. Sup with us. Walk with us. Teach us. Empower us. And use us for your glory. We are yours, Lord. And we will pray from our heart. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I cannot speak for the rest of the earth. I can only speak for myself. That your will be done in our lives, Lord. Thank you, Father. And we will declare in your house, thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. All glory, honor, power is yours. For in Jesus' name we pray. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen. Amen.